the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Two Premier League sides are in the semi-finals of the Champions League. Liverpool getting through a lively second leg against Benfica. Whilst it was chaos for Manchester City in Madrid, it was scrappy, it was fiery and a nil-nil draw was enough. But they'll be back in the Spanish capital soon. Villarreal for Liverpool in the semis, Real Madrid for City. Can West Ham and Leicester add to the English progression in Europe tonight? Both teams on their travels. The Hammers with one of their biggest games in years this evening when they play Lyon, whilst Leicester travel to PSV Eindhoven with both ties finally poised. And it's that time of the season again where the transfer rumour mill begins to fire up once more. Newcastle United, Arsenal and Tottenham are all in the papers today. Welcome along to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from Sports Social. My name's Niall, and whenever the show's got a European flavour, which seems to be quite regularly these days, it has to be Sports Social's Mr Culture, Joel Tudor, on the podcast. Morning, Joel. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't know, I don't know if that name will stick, but it's always the case, isn't it? It's like rubbing it in my face all the time, every time teams are in Europe, and I'm just sat here like... Yeah, <laughs> I just accept and deal with it. Nice. He's a well-travelled guy, is our Joel, a well-travelled man. And Marley Anderson is here as well, who pre-podcast has been moaning about the neighbours in East Manchester. Um, <laughs> adult life, eh, Marley? Adult life. Yeah, I mean, tell me, tell me, I'm old, or without telling me, I'm actually old. So that is, it's one of them adult problems. But that's that's about as exciting as my life is right now. It's we're not all uh, fighting in uh, well pulling hair and fighting like uh, Stefan Savage was last night, but hasn't quite got to that stage yet. Me and Joel were quite interested in the story, so even though it sounds a little bit Emmerdale, um, <laughs> it was actually quite interesting. It sounds like one of those things you'd see on a community Facebook page, with people complaining. Oh, they are gold. <laughs> they are too brilliant, aren't they? Um, well, there was a little bit of handbags last night, as Marley rightly points out, at the Wanda Metropolitano Atletico Madrid versus Manchester City, the second leg of the Champions League quarterfinal between those two sides. Kevin De Bruyne scored a goal in the reverse fixture at the Etihad a week prior to last night's game which means that City went into the game 1-0 up on aggregate and that's how it stayed 0-0 at full time it was a horrible attritional game exactly as we thought it would be Marley no real surprises in terms of the way things played out but despite the fact there were no goals it was still a pretty entertaining watch wasn't it yeah I think in in a weird way the the 0-0 in Madrid was probably the the more exciting game than Liverpool 3, Benfica 3 on the other channel. Um, just because mm. you knew that, well, one, the, the tie was more in the balance because Atletico all, all, at any point only needed one goal to, to extend it out to extra time and stuff. Um, but obviously more for the... Um, what, Niall, you're going to need the, the bleep button quite a lot on this podcast because okay, I can't I'm standing stop, by. I can't stop saying because that's ultimately what it was um it's it's just it was 90 minutes of it like they they targeted um the the players they thought they could target i think they probably hoped jack jack Grealish would start and i think the reason he didn't start was because of what happened in the 10 minutes that he came on in the last leg um and instantly was targeted by vasalico and and savic and and a a couple of others um but this time they picked foden and um they it it is it's total shithousery, not just because it's trying it's cheating to try and win. It's also pretty low in terms of you're picking Foden because he's the youngest and he's also the physically the smallest. So you can really hurt him um if you if you target him and 
you know, straight away it happened with Felipe smashing through the back of him. And that set the tone for the game. I think the referee lost the game there when he, he came through uh, Foden and he didn't give uh, he didn't give Felipe a yellow card, even though Foden had to be had to have a bandage around his head because he was physically bleeding from his head. So I don't know how you can't see that as uh, as a as a foul, you know, as a as a sort of serious infringement. Um, but that set the tone, and um, you know, it 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 got worse towards the end, as as we'll probably come on to soon. But the one that set set the uh, set me off was. It was just a random thing at the end of the, I think it was right at the end of the first half when the ball was going out of play and Foden was chasing it and Savage was chasing it, but Foden was about five yards ahead and none of them. The ball was about ten yards ahead of the pair of them, so the ball ran off the pitch and Foden was about to step to 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 go and pick the ball up and Savage like diverted his run and just shouldered him in the back. And at that point, I mean, I'd I'd have lost my my temper if I was Foden, but he sort of kept it cool and kept it calm and. He actually did really well for it, and he was really mature in the whole the whole situation um, for the whole game. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's disappointing that such an expensive squad like Atletico and such a talented squad has to play like that because everybody tuning in to the TV and to watch that, that you, everyone knew how the game was going to go. Like everybody knew that there was going to be a fight. Everybody had on the betting slips like over five yellow cards because it was absolutely nailed on. And even if there's one yellow card after 80 minutes, you know there's going to be four or five in in the in the last 10 when Atletico can't get the ball and you know are, are getting counted. They're going to chop someone and the fight's going to start. And it's it was disappointing that it always has to come to that because they're a talented squad. They've got talent there. They just don't use it. They chose to choose to go the other way, um, and it doesn't really work against the best teams in the world as it proved last night. It all booted off at the end. And that spilled over into the tunnel. There were reports claiming that the police were called to deal with the scuffles in the tunnel after the game. Things were being thrown. Players were threatening each other. There was a lot of boisterous behaviour going on in the tunnel. And especially in the final few minutes, the commentary team after Phil Foden was kind of wiped out uh, by Felipe, who eventually got sent off and understandably so for the way he kind of kicked out at Phil Foden. That was before Savage came bowling over and got involved as well. But the commentary team said these are the scenes we don't want to see and it sparked quite a big debate on social media actually there were a lot of people on twitter joel that were like actually a fair few of us do like to see the drama we do like to see the scrapping and the handbags um what camp do you fall in are you one of these people who think that it's not necessary or do you quite enjoy the drama and entertainment of of two sides kind of getting up in each other's faces and there being a bit of handbags yeah i i I think it's a good part i'm not saying that it's good to start kicking shells out of each other but I mean in no, terms no, no. of um, of course of co- I mean in terms of the fact that I feel like football these days has become a little bit too robotic and I think it just shows the human side of football which I think everyone loves which is the passion Atletico Madrid players will probably die on the pitch before they actually have to go off the pitch and that, that's what I love about the game it's just the fact that both teams are so committed to get into that next stage and they'll do everything you know when you saw Foden rolling onto the pitch that's exactly what Atletico Madrid players do in most games when they're trying to seal out a tie and it was just the fact that they didn't like it happening to them um it was a I I saw it as a taste of their own medicine if I'm honest and they just didn't like that fact and to be honest I thought that the Manchester City players um taking all my bias rivalry aside I thought they handled themselves ridiculously well in that situation like Marley said because let's not forget Atletico at that stage were on the way out I think they probably accepted it at that stage 
and then they were probably riling up City players and if City players reacted they would have been out of a semi-final against Real Madrid uh, they've got a lot of injury problems to deal with in the next weeks so it would have been just disaster for them so considering the age of a lot of the players like Foden who you know I- I'm sure if any other 21 year old player was getting dragged off the floor when you're injured I'm sure many of them would step up and react to that because like, it's ridiculous what Savage did um, but I just think it is. It, this is what football is. It's passion. It's heated. It's instinctive on the pitch. And I'm sorry, but the punditry team try and come off as if they're saints. Um, I don't know if it's that. I don't know if that's because the producers in the race making sure that everything's very neutral and uh, they don't want to condone any of that kind of violence, quote unquote. But I'm sorry, but it's part and parcel of football. It's going to happen on the pitch. It's interesting, Joel, because there's a fine line, I guess, between what we jokingly refer to as housery and cheating there's professional advantage and then there's generally trying to hurt someone um and that is what i saw from felipe and i was stunned that he couldn't really understand why he was sent off he's an absolute i mean he should have been sent off for just totally brain dead yeah i mean but i just don't get it i mean do they genuinely did he genuinely think he was innocent there I mean, it should have been a straight red, let alone a second yellow. It was baffling, and again, that goes back to the referee as well. It's the fact that I, it feels like for me in Europe, the referees just do not take control of games the way they should do in comparison to maybe in a tournament where they're a little bit more stricter or set the tone early on. If there's a foul early on, start the tone and say, okay, yellow card, and then the players will then know, okay, this referee is a little bit more stricter when it comes to fouls. The fact that he lets so many things go, I think the Atletico Madrid, play, uh, Madrid players thought they could get away with murder towards the end and literally it carried on in the tunnel. Uh, there should be retrospective action for a lot of what happened there, but I doubt there will be. Um, and for me, yeah. do you think do you think people will have lost respect for Atletico after that last night, Joel? Well, this is what they've always this is the club they've always been though. If you've watched them the last ten years under Simeone, they have an amazing side, which is that their craft is unbelievably amazing defensive displays, like one of the best teams I've ever seen in that regard. And that's why Simeone is so highly regarded. But when things don't go their way, they are just it's like a toddler not getting their way. They start, bit, like, you know, we've seen it in so many games, especially against Real Madrid in the Champions League where it boils over because they know they're not getting the way anymore. And yet, for example, when they were at Old Trafford three weeks ago, the ball was in play 11 minutes out of the last 30 minutes. And the reason for that was that Atletico Madrid were theatrical, trying to convince the referee with injuries. They put the ball out of play, kicked the ball around. You know, this is what City were doing towards the end. It's what you have to do to grind out a result. They were under the cosh for the last 30 minutes. It was like the teams had switched sides in a way. Um, And for me, you know, this is why I give great credit to City because I think they showed a different side to to their capabilities. Because a Guardiola side is not typically one which is having to low block having to defend for their lives under a constant amount of pressure, having to deal with, um, you know, teams that are trying to cause a reaction, spark a reaction. And uh, I thought they just they, they just settled it very, very well, um, despite the fact that Atletico were just massively antagonising. I agree. I think defensively, City were given a real test and they came through it exceptionally well. I thought Nathan Ake looked good, considering there were question marks over his arrival from Bournemouth a couple of seasons ago. He's really starting to look like someone who can comfortably deputise for Stones, Laporte or Diaz, whoever it may be, that, that doesn't play. I thought he was actually very good last night. Um But to get through in these sorts of games, Marley, you do need a bit of luck. We can talk about Atletico Madrid and 
the way that they were unsavoury the whole night. But should they have had a penalty during the game, there was a, a ropey challenge from Joao Cancelo that looked like it could well have been given as a spot kick. What did you make of it? Um, to be honest, no, because they didn't deserve it. <laughs> if, you, if you're going to play like that, <laughs> any 50-50 decisions, you don't deserve them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, to be fair, the, the, it was it was a decent shout. I didn't think that much got made of it. Um, probably did in the in the wonder, like in 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 the uh, in the crowd. But yeah, it's um, it's the more you look at it, the more you think, oof, they got away with that one because I think with it's like it's like one of them scruffy things where everyone's genuinely going for the ball and you know it's it's sort of squirming around. And it's hard to even see whether Cancelo got a, a slight toe on the ball as it goes, as it sort of squirts away from the box, because um, it happens so quick. I think he does, to be fair, and that's probably what saves him. Um, but yeah, there's definitely contact after that happens. And the thing with football now is like you, half the time you get uh, you get punished for what happens after after the initial contact, which which is ridiculous, really. But you know, it's it's not a surprise if if that was given. Um, but I think he does just about get a, a stud or a toe on the ball, um, and that's probably what saves him. So, yeah, but uh, it would have been gutting if that that was there for for Atletico and, and they got uh, two extra time or even got a result off the back of that because you know the way they played and the one of the five attacks they had in the entire two legs. If that ended up in a penalty and them scoring it, and you know that would have been. Uh, quite a sickener yeah I mean you can call it lucky like like some people have done but you do need that luck like I mentioned before you need that rubber the green in order to get through these sorts of games Guardiola said after the match Marley that you know he's proud of his side it's only the third ever time that City have reached the Champions League semi-finals all three of which have been under his stewardship as manager of the club but he also said that he's going to caveat the celebrations with the fact that his side are in big trouble. Those are his words, big trouble with injuries. Obviously, there's an FA Cup semi-final coming up at the weekend, which we'll talk about on the dugout show, uh, which will be out on Friday night here on Football Social Daily. Um, But, you know, with this stage of the season ramping up in importance with some big league games and obviously um, the Champions League semis to come and this FA Cup semi-final at the weekend, do you think that could have implications on their challenge for silverware, those injuries that he mentions? Or is he maybe just reacting to the moment? Um, quite possibly, especially when you, you consider that they've got Liverpool in the uh, in the semi at the weekend. It's, you know, it's not a um, something that you want to uh, go into a game where you're not quite full strength. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see how bad they are. I think there was, there was one to De Bruyne, wasn't there? Um, which will be a big, uh, big loss because the way he played in the league game against Liverpool uh, last weekend was, was incredible. Um, and obviously he's the one that makes City tick. He's the one that's got that that extra bit of quality, I think, with uh, when it comes down to the biggest games. Um, so we'll have to just wait and see what what the the true thing is, because Pep does like to uh, to sort of play the uh, the moan card a little bit and and do that. Sometimes he has been known to do that. So and make make a bit extra of things. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, I suppose. But City should still be strong enough to get a result. Um, no matter what happens because they are they are that good 
Well, Liverpool are also through to the semi-finals of the Champions League and Liverpool will be City's opponents in that FA Cup semi-final on Sunday. It's really getting down to crunch time of the season. They managed to get through their quarter-final in the Champions League last night. We'll talk about that and some of the other Premier League teams in European action next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the show. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sport Social. And it was Premier League teams in European action last night. Liverpool and Manchester City. We've spoken about City. What about Liverpool? It was a 3-3 draw against Benfica at Anfield. Liverpool go through, though, on aggregate. They'll face Villarreal in the semi-finals, who surprisingly dumped out Bayern Munich, the Spanish side, massively overachieving with former Arsenal manager Unai Emery as their boss. Um, Too good Firmino finishes Joel for Liverpool last night. Can you see him staying at Liverpool too much longer? Well, he's definitely made a good case for himself yesterday. Um, he had a, he was probably one of the best players on the pitch, to be honest. And every time he seems to go out of the side, I've said it myself that I thought that he would be the first one out in terms of the, that typical front three that we've seen for the last four years. But um, yeah, he scored two really, really well-taken goals yesterday. Um, but it wasn't an easy tie for Liverpool at all. And obviously the fact that Van Dijk wasn't there as well I think was such a massive miss you could see it in the defence quite clearly considering they conceded three goals um, but yeah they were, with with Liverpool obviously it was a much weakened side it felt like the game was done prior to it actually and you have to give credit to Benfica because they really persevered especially you know a lot of their players especially Darwin Nunes um, his, his goal was it reminded me of a young Fernando Torres the way he just kind of guided it in that bottom corner um, but Liverpool were just constantly trying to play the offside trap and it was it was just not working out at all and um, shout out to Martin Keown who kept getting every offside wrong despite having about 20 different <laughs> freeze freeze plays right in front of him my god I couldn't believe how many times he was like that's offside and then it, the goal would be given um, so shout out to him but yeah it was it was a game where yeah, a weakened side against the Benfica side who had nothing to lose. Um, they made a good account for themselves, but it's a good run for Liverpool. They've had Inter Milan, which was a close tie in the second half, and in the second half of that second leg, and then obviously um, this game against Benfica and then Villarreal, which is probably going to be the toughest test. Uh, but they've had good draws though, Joel, haven't they? They would have wanted Villarreal. Yeah, this is, the, I mean, this is the most ideal one. It just reminds me of where Manchester United drew Schalke in the 2011 Champions League campaign. It's similar to that, where even though they've had a good, and let's not get it twisted as well, Villarreal have had to get through some tough teams. They defeated Juventus in the quarterfinals. Now, uh, sorry, defeated Juventus in the last 16. Now they defeated. Um, Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals that's not an easy run at all it's kind of like Ajax's run when they went to the semi-finals um, but of course Liverpool's the most difficult one out of all of those teams and if I'm honest I'd be probably more nervous to be playing Villarreal just because Bayern right now yeah they, 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 they've got nothing to do in the La Liga at the moment I think they're about eight points off getting into the into even the Europa League places so this is all or nothing for them whereas Bayern still have one eye on the Bundesliga they just don't look anywhere near the team that they were like under uh, Jupp Heink, uh, Hanks and um, Guardiola. It's just it's just a totally different side and they deserved it completely, Villarreal. But it's going to be a very tough test for Liverpool just because 
we know how Unai Emery is in Europe and considering how well they did last year in the Europa League, this is just going to be another chance for them to make history from such a small town as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's only a town of 50,000 people, so um, they've done really well for themselves. They won the Europa League last season, of course, VRL, managed by Unai Emery. I'm sure um, many people will be looking at his achievements and thinking, why was he not given more time at Arsenal? That's another question. Uh, but Liverpool, Villarreal and Manchester City Real Madrid are the two semi-finals. Uh, Darwin Nunez scored for Benfica last night, uh, had a chance to impress an English audience. Just before we move on here, Marley, do you think we'll see the Uruguayan in the Premier League soon? Because there's plenty of interest that is being talked up in the papers today. Uh, I hope so. Um, he looks a quality player. I've seen, I've seen after the first leg, a lot of people on social media, I don't know if they're doing it um, sort of tongue-in-cheek, but saying he was going to like flop if he ever came to the Premier League and stuff. And I... I can't see that. I think he's uh, he's one of the best young strikers out there. I think he'd be perfect actually for for Dortmund if they sold Haaland and um, just slot Nunes into that next position. And you know for a fact that if he does well, he'll be he'll go for hundred and fifty million in two or three years' time. Um, so I think he's. Uh, I, I don't know which. The only thing is I don't know which Premier League club would would take him. I don't know if Chelsea want to spend that money again. Um, having blown it with, with Werner and, and Lukaku recently um, and Pulisic and Havertz and, you know, all big fees I don't know if they'll do that again um, Arsenal have the money but are they well they might have the money but they need the, the striker but have they got enough um, pulling power to, to go and get him um, I'm not, not sure but yeah, he's, he looks a quality player. He took his, I mean, even his offside goal uh, where he chipped Allison. You know, he made Allison look like a five-a-side goalie the way he just flicked that in over over the top of him. Um, that was brilliant. So his movement and everything, he's, he's got the lot. He just needs to step up now. I think in in terms of league competition and obviously the Premier League's the best best league in the world. But I can probably see him going to a a Germany or a Spain first, to be honest. He's been talked up uh, with a move to Manchester United as well in the papers. We'll come on to the latest transfer gossip shortly here on Football Social Daily. Too early to ruin his career. (laughs) (laughs) Well, talking of careers, careers might be made tonight. Legends might be made if you're a West Ham supporter because your team are away from home. The second leg of the Europa League uh, knockout stages, a game against Lyon in France. It's 1-1 on aggregate. David Moyes in his press conference said this game could be super close. Leicester are also in European action. We'll come on to them shortly. But first, the Hammers, a chance for them to make history, as I say. No Zuma, no Cresswell. They are depleted. Do you think they'll do it, Joel, tonight against Leon? I'm not sure they'll win, um, but Leon are in a decent amount of form. They've only lost one in the last five, but they're in 10th place in the, in the French League, which is a massive fall-off from what they're usually at. They're usually competing for the, for the European places, so... It's the best time to play them, and like we mentioned so many times on the podcast, it's just the fact that this is West Ham's chance now to just stake a claim. It's similar to the way in which we've said about Villarreal. Uh, this is West Ham's pretty much only objective of the season now. Of course, they're in sixth place. There is the off chance they could potentially jump into that top four places, but realistically, this is what the fans have been focusing on for the last, what, three months pretty much ever since the knockout phases began and it's the perfect opportunity 
Um, I think it's a good team to play as well, just because Leon aren't as strong as they used to be. They've still got some really talented, talented players. Obviously, um, bringing back and Dombele, he's been amazing for them there this season. And then they've got the other Dembele as the striker. It's 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 a it's a strong side, but I think West Ham definitely do have the capabilities to go through in this one. The, the incentives there, though, isn't it to be able to play at the new Camp after and then potentially go to a European final? I don't think there's any bigger incentive to actually just manage this tie. And I think Moyes needs to manage the emotional side of this tie more than the actual play because I think when you get a team like West Ham going to a, a, um, a stage like this in the European competition, it's just unknown territory. And if they let emotions get the better of them and if they freeze on the big stage, uh, Leon could end up picking them apart pretty quickly. So we'll see how well his management is in this one because it's a definitely a different test to anything they've had before. But I think that Sevilla game was probably the hardest test they'll have in this, t- this competition. So... If they go off that game, I mean, I'm sure they'll be fine. You mentioned freezing on the big stage. I'm not sure there's too much coaching that David Moyes can do in that regard. I suppose it's just up to the players. Once they step over the white line, if his side just decide they aren't going to turn up, um, there's not too much tactical analysis that can be done on that. And there's no doubting, Marley, that this will be one of, if not the most pressurised West Ham game for a number of years. They aren't used to the European stage. They aren't used to these pressurised knockout games. Even in cup competitions, we haven't seen them really get to these later stages of things like the FA Cup and the League Cup. So is there a chance that that could play a part tonight? Yeah, there is. Um, I think going away, uh, you know, away from home to a a really sort of partisan crowd and you know the very good atmosphere in in at Leon Stadium it's it's usually pretty raucous for a, you know a, a competition where they think they they think they can win this you know they they want that tie against Barcelona in the next round if that's what what happens um just as much as West Ham do really and they need it they arguably need it just as much if not more than West Ham because of what Joel said the 10th in in League One, and um, you know they're they're not looking as though they're going to qualify for Europe through their their league position next season. So they probably do want to, you know, have a proper crack at this tournament, and uh, they will do as well because you know they were they were all right in the first leg. They weren't probably weren't the best team. I think West Ham probably edged it, um, but with the uh, the the sending off, they got a lifeline and uh, they got back into it. Um, but having said that, like. West Ham have now got less to deal with. I mean, Cresswell and Zuma are big players for West Ham, um, and I, I just I do worry about whether they've they'll have enough without them, and whether they'll they'll have enough to go and score a couple of goals because you can see Leon scoring at least one. So you're gonna probably realistically say West Ham are going after score two, and with Antonio on a bit of a dry spell, I'm I'm not sure whether this is just one step too far for them, but. I'd love to see them get through to the semis and 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 play Barcelona. It'd be absolutely peak peak Europa League if that happened. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm not not Barcelona sure. Barcelona or Frankfurt, Marley or, or Frankfurt, Frankfurt, who were actually could still be there in the first leg. Frankfurt, they, they scored an absolutely <laughs> ridiculous goal. Um, yeah, and Barcelona's equaliser was just as ridiculous. To be fair, but from a different angle, different perspective. Um, so yeah, yeah, it would be it would be ultimate West Ham to be like 
to get through, wouldn't it? And then it to be Frankfurt rather than Barcelona when 500 hammers have already booked accommodation in Barcelona for that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how they get on tonight. They're away from home in Lyon, pressurised second leg in the quarterfinals of the Europa League. As for Leicester City, they're in the third tier of European competition and it's their quarterfinal against PSV we'll focus on now in the UEFA Europa Conference League. We got there in the end, 0-0, the score currently on aggregate. So it's all to play for in Eindhoven. Leicester have lacked cutting edge at times, not just in Europe this season, but also in the Premier League. Do you think they'll still be favourites here, Joel, despite the second leg being away from home and, and the pressure beginning to build? Yeah, you would think so. And this is probably the silver lining of their season if they can do it, just because it's been a pretty lacklustre season for them, considering the last two seasons they've been going for the top four and now they're kind of just languishing around ninth place, which... I mean, seven years after seven years of progress, you have to say it's is good that the fact that we're saying Leicester disappointing season because previously they were just the team that was just going up and down or languishing in in, in the championship. So it's it's testament of how well they progressed as a club. But they're going to want more than more than the Conference League. But I guess this is the best entrance into the into the Europa League. But it's again, it's another way to just earn a trophy. I know we everyone keeps taking the mick out of this this competition like well it is it is a third tier european trophy which is not really one that any top club wants to go for but it's a trophy at the end of the day and i'm sure i don't know where the final's being held but i, I guess it'll still be a really good sir in albania joel tirana albania <laughs> i thought you were gonna say like monaco or something but albania um i mean yeah maybe an asterisk albania probably uh, but yeah it's a european tie it's a european final all these fans they may never get the opportunity again to go to such an event like this regardless of how big the competition is you know at least it's not the audi cup so. well it's, it's only leicester's second ever european quarterfinal so i think that tells you a lot about a club who are still growing and i know they won the premier league but that was like a you know it's a five thousand to one chance as we all famously know the the odds of leicester winning the league before that season and winning that title or did it elevate them it propelled them and they kind of grew in stature and standing gained lots of supporters around the world they've got an excellent owner um, who who runs the club really really well and I think that they are still quite new to all of this European action and I think Brendan Rodgers is quite keen to point that out in press conferences as well you know Leicester City uh, are not a team who even eight or nine years ago you'd even consider to be anywhere near the top places in the Premier League let alone talking about them getting to a European semi-final so I think that that is definitely worth bearing in mind that being said I don't think there are many direct flights from East Midlands Airport to Tirana Albania but <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, ne- you never know Um, just on that have you changed your mind about the Conference League Mali uh, and its importance or its benefits has it won you over at all or are you still in the same position you were um I'm not really sure, to be honest, um, because I don't, I don't really know, <laughs> because it's like it, it does sound stupid, and it probably is stupid that it, like, it literally doesn't need to exist. Um, but the the quality of of sides in it that drop out of the Europa League will always make how it's remembered. Like, so if you get some top quality sides, like look look at the Europa League, Barcelona are in it this year, and that makes it. A watchable competition. You want to tune into Barcelona on a Thursday night, um, especially if they play West Ham in the next round. But um, it's a sim- it's a similar theme with with um, the Europa Conference League. Like PSV versus Leicester could be a yeah. Europa League semi final or quarter final. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there's plenty in there. Marseille that... are in. Roma is still in. Yeah, there's some big 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 clubs left in it. So 
it gives them a chance to win it. I, I mean, it, it was kind of ironic that initially it's it's set up to give the other teams of Europe like a more um, realistic chance of getting somewhere. You're talking like the likes of, um, you know, I don't know, maybe like Shakhtar or, you know, Boda Glimt, for example, and they're the only ones that are taking it so far um, and go to Rome tonight looking to pull off the biggest win in their history. Um so yeah, I don't know really. I think once once things get started, you you kind of get used to them, and you, I I I, I want to see Leicester play PSV. I think it'd be a good game of football, um, and it's good. There's enough of a carrot at the end of it to uh, for both teams to to want to go and win it because PSV and Leicester will both be thinking we can win this competition and we can get into you know at least the Europa League next season. PSV will be there anyway because of the league position, but. Leicester, for example, will be like, this is a route to the Europa League and everyone can snort and laugh at it, including their own manager at one point. Um, but if it gets you what you want at the end of the season, which is European football in the second tier, which is the Europa League, then, you know, who's laughing then? It's Everyone else can point the fingers all they like, but if Leicester are in the Europa League next season, they won't give a toss. I don't think it's been as bad as people thought it would be, actually. I think it's been quite entertaining in parts. Although it's hard to keep up with all of the different games, I think it was hard enough to keep up with 32 teams in the Europa League knockout stages, let alone the Europa Conference. So you've got 64 teams to kind of cast your eyes over, particularly from our perspective as well. But Leicester are the only English side in the competition. Could Arsenal, Tottenham, Manchester United, could any of those teams be in the Europa Conference League next season. It's still a possibility and those sides are in the news when it comes to the transfer talk. Newcastle United also, Marley. Maybe you might be in Europe soon. Who knows? We'll talk about those latest transfer rumours next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. Final part of today's show. I'm Niall. I've got Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson alongside me. Marley's a Newcastle fan and the Northern Echo are reporting that the Magpies want to make Christian Eriksen, the Danish international, their marquee summer signing. He's obviously at Brentford at the moment. He's on a short-term deal after recovering from uh, a nasty heart problem that he suffered during the Euros whilst playing for Denmark. Is that the sort of player that Newcastle United need, Marley? Is that the player that you'd welcome at St. James's Park? Um, he's he's a quality player. Um, don't get me wrong, he's he's brilliant. But I, I I'm not sure whether signing players the wrong side of thirty is is the best sort of look for you. Like I, I think you can get younger players uh, at this point, like of the of the mould of Bruno Gimmeresh, for example. Like the you know he's twenty four, twenty five. He's got plenty of his best years ahead of him. Um, Ericsson's quality and, he, and he's free in the summer as well which is I think that's that's where the, the interest is coming from you wouldn't you wouldn't go and rock up to Brentford and try and get him out of a, uh, a three or four year contract right in the middle of it so I think the fact that he's signed a six month deal in January um, is is more the, the where the speculation is coming from but we do need more creativity in midfield to be fair um, and he brings it you know um, so in terms of rumours that that make sense um a guy with creativity signing for a team that needs a bit of creativity ticks all the boxes doesn't it so um i'm not surprised we're being linked with him but to be honest i i've always thought he, he feels like 
a player who likes London a lot. Like I think that was one of the big keys for him staying in uh, staying in the Premier League with Brentford. Um, and I think if anything, Spurs might fancy him back at, at the at the best um, at the best case for him. But um, if not, I can see him staying at Brentford. To be honest, I think his relationship with Thomas Frank has been a, a big sort of pulling pulling factor for him. Um, and it'll help them fight in that sort of second season syndrome that a lot of teams struggle with um, next season when they uh, when they kick off. So from one former Tottenham player in Christian Eriksen to another in Gareth Bale, who obviously spent some time on loan at his former club last season. He's out of contract at Real Madrid in the summer. At the end of June, that deal expires in the Spanish capital and reports claim that Tottenham and Cardiff City favourites to sign him at the end of that deal. There's also retirement potentially on the cards as well, Joel. Where do you think Bale will end up or where do you think he should end up? Cardiff is home city. Do you think he'll retire? Do you think he should retire or do you think Spurs is the best option? I'm really interested to see what his next steps are because I, I well, personally, I think he will retire um, after the World Cup. I just feel as though the Real Madrid ending has just really made his love for football just disappear and towards the end it was pretty much him living for going away with Wales rather than actually playing for Madrid um so considering this will probably be the last time of the last time he'll be in his kind of around but well, not his peak but he'll still be be able to dictate games I mean the next tournament he'll be two years old and I don't think he'll be anywhere near the same player so I think for him he needs to just be a, like a, I, re, I think he'll sign a one-year contract with a team where he can just maintain his fitness. He can play at a pretty fast, quick level, um, just for the three months prior to actually going to Qatar and obviously being able to have a pre-season, pre-season as well. Which, well, to be fair, it's not really made a massive difference because even though he's not really played for Real Madrid, he he scored some cracking goals for Wales on the way to getting into the the final of their qualifying um, campaign. And obviously, let's not forget they've not even qualified for it yet. So it'll be interesting to see what his plans are if they don't qualify for it. Because I do think that if it if it ends up being the case that they lose that game against, I think is it out of um, Ukraine and Scotland, I think if they lose that game, I think he does retire after that just because it seems as though Wales has become his club, um, his everyday passion, rather than actually going away to his country. So I think it's make or break. I think that game really does decide it. And, you know, we've seen top, top players who've retired kind of prematurely early. We saw Cantona retire at 30. I think Zinedine Zidane was only 33, 34 when he retired. I don't think there's any shame in it, even though the earning potential is still there. I think why not just retire on on a pretty upward trajectory, to be honest. But um, I just see it as that game is make or break for him. And if he does go through, then he'll probably just sign a short-term contract somewhere. But um, yeah, I think that game decides his career, if I'm honest. Final one we're going to discuss on today's show is Lucas Paqueta of Lyon who's a legendary, a legendary, he's allegedly, I don't know if he's legendary, that might change <laughs> things for Arsenal and Newcastle, who are the two clubs supposedly uh, eyeing him up as a potential new signing in the summer. With these two sides, Arsenal may yet finish in the top four. Newcastle United are beginning to build something. I know you're biased, Marley, but who's the more attractive proposal right now for someone of Lucas Piquet's age and ability? 24 years old, playing for Lyon. Um, who would you pick if you were him? Obviously, you're going to say Newcastle, but why would that be? Uh, I'd pick Newcastle. Um, shock, because I look. I 
Who wants to go and sign for a team where Piers Morgan's just constantly slanging him <laughs> off on Twitter? I'm sure like, he's not really you, paying any attention to that. Do you want Ant, do you want Ant and Deck buzzing off you every every week, or do you want uh, <laughs> do you want Piers Morgan going on about Arteta and how he ruined the team by selling Aubameyang? Um, no, I, I don't know. It's it's a it's I mean, it's maybe it's not a fifty fifty choice, but I see it as kind of closer than closer than it looks on the surface because. There's no guarantees over any of them. No one's getting close to the top two, which is ultimately, you know, where everyone wants to be. So that's out of the question. And is it a case of of Newcastle being ambitious and having enough to to uh, to attract a player like that? You know, as we mentioned before, Leon tenth in in um, in France. Can you, you know, is he going to stick around there for for longer than he needs to? Um, I'm not sure he'd ever have a better chance of, of leaving, especially if they go out tonight in the champion, in the uh, Europa League. So if you're looking at that and thinking, you know, he's going to go soon, he's going to look at his options. And Arsenal have got Odegaard in the number 10 position. He's, what is he, 23, 24? They've just spent massive money on him. You know, his route into the first team there isn't, um, you know, isn't easy. Um, and I think the biggest thing with this whole situation is um, he's best mates with Bruno Gimmarish. And they're always talking on um, the on social media to each other. They're always, you know, congratulations on the win, bro, and all this sort of stuff. Um, and it, it's just set the Newcastle fans off because we're like, brilliant. We're going to sign every Brazilian that Bruno knows, um, and we're gonna we're gonna just uh, have Bruno send a, a blanket text to every Brazilian in his phone book and say, come come over Newcastle, lads. They pay you loads. It's a bit cold, but we're actually quite a decent team. Um, and there's more of a route into the team for him. Um, at Newcastle, um, there's there's you know there's not much competition in terms of where he plays. If we if we did play with the number ten, he'd be the only one in our squad. I would say, with uh, maybe alongside Almiron, but he mm. seems to be on his way out. Well, so. it seems to make sense if if you've been linked with Ericsson and now Paqueta that you know you are looking for a creative midfield player. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he's you know he's, he's probably one of the best available. Um, he's young. Was what did you say? He was twenty four. So. You know he's young. He's also physical as well. He's about six foot one, six foot two. He's a, he's a big lad. Um, so if you're looking sort of from a physical point of view, he, you'd, you'd think he'd be able to handle it in um, in England. And uh, yeah, the the relationship both personally and from a footballing uh, side with Bruno Gimresh could be our our little uh, like ace card up the sleeve type of thing. Well, that's the latest when it comes to transfer news from the Premier League. There'll be plenty more of that, I'm sure, in the next few weeks as we approach the end of the season. Arsenal, of course, interested in Lucas Paqueta of Lyon as well as Newcastle. The season is really starting to hot up now, isn't it? Some big games this weekend in both the league and the cup. We'll talk about them on the dugout on Friday night. That's our Premier League preview show. Myself alongside Francis Benali and Trevor Stevens. It'll be interesting to get Trevor Stevens' opinions on his former club Everton. He won the title there at the 80s, but they are still at risk of relegation. If you want to hear all of that, then make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss the episode there. Tomorrow it's Bank Holiday Friday, so there'll be no Football Social Daily from us, but we'll still have a podcast for you of slightly different persuasion. The guys from Rose Ed will be taking over our feed for one day only, so make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss that one. But from us, have a great Easter weekend, whatever you're up to, and we'll see you the other side. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.